0: Acts chapter 11, verse 19 to 30. The church in Antioch. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phonic, Cyprus in Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greek, also telling them the good news about the Lord, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with them, church, and taught a great number of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets come down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predict that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each of one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul.
1: Thank you, Vivi. You guys can have a seat. Well done. All right, so we are in the middle of our Acts series. We're like in the middle of Acts now. We're getting close to the middle, I guess. And uh, why we've been doing this series is for one particular reason, is that we wanted to look at what the beginning of the church was like uh, lots because in this post-pandemic COVID season, there's, there's been a bunch of questions being asked about what's the point of the gathered church? What's it for? And from the very beginning of this series, we've been exploring uh, the motivations and reasons behind why the church even started. Why did it gather? How is it formed? What was it doing? Uh, how, what sustains it? And so I've really been enjoying it as we've been working through this. And I think it's been helping us as we've been uh, reconstructing, you know, the church and what that means in this post-pandemic culture. So the point that we're at in the story uh, is that we have had this progression. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Acts has this really interesting progression throughout, of it. throughout it. It's a geographic progression. It starts in Jerusalem, and then it goes to, you know, the rest of Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And, and so it has this geographic sort of expansion. That's what That's what's happening in this book. And so you've probably been noticing this, you've been here for a while, that things are getting further and further away from Jerusalem. And not only are they getting further and further away geographically, uh, there's been this very controversial to the Jews at that time, jump into the Gentile world. There's been this very interesting and head-scratching kind of moment for all the Jews going, oh my goodness, all that's happened with Jesus and what you know, we have come to know him as being the fulfillment of all of our scriptures. We've got a frame of reference for that. But not only is he Lord of us, he's not gonna—he's not gonna vanquish all those other people like we thought he was gonna do. He's actually come to be their savior and be their Lord too. So that was a bit of a—that's a bit of a curveball for the Jews at the time. Uh, and right now, this story is very interesting because we had. I don't know, a bunch of weeks ago, if you remember, Pastor Matt preached on uh, Philip, the disciple Philip. He actually was the first one to lead like a Gentile to Christ. That was the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, and there's the story where he gets baptized on the road. One of the first times that someone who is not a Jewish uh, person received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So you've got a salvation. And then a couple of weeks back, we talked about how Peter, the disciple Peter, the apostle Peter, was involved in having the first time that the, the Holy Spirit filled Gentile people. And that was controversial that I'm going, oh my goodness. Okay. I get that they could like believe that Jesus is their Lord and be baptized. Okay. Cool. But like, wow, he's going to fill the whole, everybody in the world with his spirit. Like we're all temples of the Holy Spirit now. So that's crazy. And this uh, passage today is now there's a church. (laughs) Like now there's a church in Antioch that's just Greeks, what are called Hellenistic people. Like it's not even, it wasn't even started by, it wasn't started by Jews. It's, it's a full-on Greek church. So you have this progression of you got salvation, you've got infilling with the Holy Spirit. Now we've got a church. And so it looks like the church is making not only a geographic push outwards uh, through the Jewish diaspora, but it's also made this jump into the Gentile world. And for those of you that aren't Jewish here, thank goodness. So uh, what happens in this story, very quick summation, is... That seems sketchy to Jerusalem, just like everything else that's crazy going on that they weren't didn't predict was going to happen, and so they send Barnabas up there to go. Hey, why don't you go check that Greek church out, make sure it's all kosher, so to speak. And uh, uh, he, Paul goes and um, Barnabas goes and seeks out Paul, and together they go and check out this this church. And what's interesting about the Antioch church is it becomes a very very important church, especially for us in the West it was the main missionary sending church to all the West. That was the gateway to the Roman Empire and to, well, really Western culture. So the Antioch church started in this story and it's very important to all of us, many of us in here. So what we get to look at here today is what the DNA is of a church that wound up being really influential. We get to look at the DNA of a church that, was a bridge between, basically a bridge between Jewish culture and the sending into the rest of the world. So very, very interesting church to study. If we're studying it, we're looking at how does the gospel make this jump? How do you have things not just be driven by one culture, but by be driven by something that doesn't rely on culture, like super important church to study. So it's a sending church and we're gonna look at the DNA of what that is. It's a multicultural sending church. So, what do I mean by sending church? Just so we're all on the same page. Ascending church, I, I wrote this down, I don't know, this is my definition, but it's a, it reaches beyond its own reach, if that makes any sense. It's reaching beyond what it can see as feasible. Uh, I don't know about you, but whenever th- there's a sending that happens, there's always this little bit of it that doesn't make a ton of sense, and we're sending beyond ourselves. And another aspect of Ascending Church is that it's inclusive to people who aren't here yet. It's not thinking about itself in its growth. It's thinking about those who aren't here yet in its growth. Now, we're gonna learn about how a church that has Ascending Culture, a DNA of being inclusive and not being just built around one culture is super helpful for the world around it and really helpful for those inside of it. We're gonna be looking at that today. But this church in Antioch is a church that uh, epitomizes what it means to be driven by being sent and by not building around sameness, by building around going and including and all the things that make you and I all quite uncomfortable a lot of the time. So I wanna pull out some observations from this text. And the first one is that this church was started by people crossing the boundary, So you'll notice at the beginning of this text, it said that, you know, many of the Jews were scattered. Remember the stoning of Stephen, I don't know, a few months ago? All the persecution that happened and the Jews in Jerusalem were a little freaked out by that, rightly so. And they all scattered, all the Christian Jews scattered. And they all went to their synagogues and whatever the cities they wound up in and very faithfully preached Jesus as the Lord and Savior and really cool things happened in those Jewish communities. But in this story, you'll notice it says, but there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene who were Jewish, who went and preached to Greeks. And for some reason, we don't know why, they decided to do that. They didn't go to the Jews, they went to the Greeks. So at the very very beginning of this church, you've got this special kind of witness that happens cross-culturally, that happens over this gap. So why is this important? I think this is a very special kind of witness because it speaks to the gospel's transcendence above culture. It speaks to the gospel's power and ability to do things regardless of your background, regardless of who you are. And for some reason, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene knew that. They had faith that they're like, I don't know. I mean, everyone just keeps saying Jesus is Lord of all. So I'm gonna tell everyone. I'll tell the Jews, I'll tell the Greeks. Like. That's big faith actually, if you think about these guys. They weren't going, okay, I'm gonna go to the Jews because at least they have the Old Testament and that's gonna make sense. And there's this, this logical, very strategic, not bad by the way, be strategic, that's fine. But for some reason they went, hey, maybe this would work with the Greeks. Maybe this would work with people who actually don't know our story very well. It's kind of interesting. And I think this is neat because I don't know if you've noticed this, but Jesus' ministry started with like mono everything. His, his, his first, you know, 12 disciples were all male, Jewish, teenage boys that grew up going to, you know, Torah school. Like, it's super mono everything. And then it, it doesn't stop there. And it has this massive expansion. I, I, have, a, I have a hunch. I think it's because Jesus wants us to witness the power of his gospel and when he's in charge, he wants us to see how many boundaries it actually busts. He wants to see how many things, how many things that we think are barriers, his kingship and power just like shreds through. So I think it was also a little strategic to start with those guys, strategy's fine, but I think he had in the back of his mind, watch how fast this expands beyond this very mono group of people. And it becomes multi-everything. And the story from the very first disciples is like, I think the thing they say most, or at least it seems like they're thinking in their head is them too. <laughs> like it happens if you read the New Testament, it's just them too, them too, them too. And even in those first 12, it seems like they're mono everything when you first look at all their you know upbringings, but you've got a very diverse group of people. You've got tax collectors, you've got zealots. We don't have time to get into it today. But Jesus is taking people that seem the same and like exploding it out and saying, watch how, watch how powerful I am to bridge all of these things. So I think we're invited to participate in that same kind of boundary shattering faith, that same kind of reliance on the spirit and what he's up to and what he's doing that breaks down all these different boundaries. And I'm glad that he lets us be part of that. So I think that when we, declare that jesus is powerful and christ is king that there actually aren't any boundaries in his kingdom which is really great news there aren't boundaries between you and i with his kingship we're all in many ways in the most important of ways let's say the same we're all equal now that doesn't mean there isn't diversity but it does mean that we're all the same in some way and in colossians 3 it says this you know this is paul speaking he says here is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And so Paul's point here is going, okay, guys, just so you know, if Christ is king, there aren't things that separate you guys. He's, he is your source. He is the, he, he's the one who destroys all of these barriers. And the context of Paul saying this is that uh, our primary identity, he's talking about our primary identity here. He's talking about your primary identity being in Christ. And if it is, if it is, then that would mean that there is, that, that there is a, this beautiful kingdom slice of heaven unity that should exist in a place where everybody is surrendering to the Lordship of Christ, which is a beautiful picture that I want our world to know. Like if you look our, at, our, at our world the fragmentation and the, and the the micro pockets of people trying to find a place to belong with a never ending infinite increase of subcategories. <laughs> Don't you guys, this is, things just keep getting more and more fragmented. And so you have a, a, a humanity looking for belonging in, you know, being the same, like somehow finding your people. Everyone's looking for their people. And at the same time, an increased shattering of all that holds groups together. And it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And we just have an epidemic of loneliness and identity crisis. And people don't know what their story is and who their people are and where to belong. And and here Paul's saying, when Christ is king, everybody is equal and together and loving each other. This is fantastic news for our world. So this doesn't mean that there's no diversity. In fact, diversity is essential for all. It's not miraculous or special or interesting or beautiful if there isn't diversity at the same time. So don't hear what I'm not saying. We're not, this is not anti-diversity, this is like pro-diversity. This is, let's see how eclectic this group can be to demonstrate how little the barriers that we like to put up between each other are powerful enough to separate us from loving each other really well. Increase diversity. Let's have let's have the broadest multi-everything. Because it's a greater and greater witness of the supremacy of Christ and all that has to take place in all of our hearts in order for that to be possible, which we're gonna get to in just a second. So as Christ becomes our identity, we begin to see the unifying power of Christ in our diversity. Now, I this is something that okay, you're gonna have to stick with me here for a second, because I'm I'm gonna try to go somewhere and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's helpful. Um, I sometimes think multiculturalism, all the multi stuff is like a bonus thing. It's like, it's great if we can get around to multiculturalism. It's great if we can get around to things being diverse. And it kind of has this tone of going, you know, I'm not sure how essential that is to the flourishing of the church. It's like a nice thing if it happens but actually pursuing it, actually longing for it, what does that really have to do with the mission of the church? Sometimes that that can happen and we can have those questions. So here's what I think's at stake. I don't know about all of the church. I don't know about all the church around the world, but I'll just talk about ours, okay? Let's talk about ours and We live in Vancouver and this is the reality that we're in and we live in a multicultural place and so that's gonna be a big deal to us. We have to care about that. We can't just like la 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 and think it's a bonus activity. We're here, so we gotta figure this out. I can't speak to the church in you know the middle of the center of China where everybody's Chinese. Like, okay, maybe they're not talking about, they have other things to think about and other ways to (laughs) discuss these things. I don't know. But for us, we gotta figure this out. So what's at stake here in this whole... I don't know, barrier-busting thing between each of us. And here's here's what I was praying about today. Is I think that a church that doesn't have faith to overcome barriers has a very hard time reaching out and making disciples of anyone, of anyone. Why? I think that if we don't value these things, we're in danger on relying on something other than Christ to unify us and be our power and be our sustenance. We're in danger of something other than Christ unifying us. And this can happen really, really quickly. My faith can easily rest, maybe you can resonate with me in this, I I bet you you can. My faith can easily rest on my own power to create transmission lines that I can imagine working. I can imagine them working. It's like, okay, even with friends, Yes, I can imagine us being close. I can I see how that would work. Yeah, I can see how we could be friends. Outreach even, not even like us, like people that don't know Jesus yet and aren't here. We start creating transmission lines being like, oh, I can see how that would work. And like, I could see how I could have an inroad there. And I could see how I could be enough in that relationship. And there's this like, uh, comfortability that comes and and a sense of our own power and ability to be the transmission line into that place. This happens to me really, really quickly. And so maybe I should just reach out to, you know, double income, no kid Canadians from South Vancouver. You know, I just, I can, I have faith for that in my heart. Like, I, I don't know. It just makes sense to me. And I I find myself saying, I got this and I can do this. But here's what, as I was thinking about this, here's what I feel like the reality is that I want us to chew on. that I think God's power is always required for any barrier to be broken because every barrier is a result of our sin and our selfishness and our, our inward turned nature. If there's a barrier, it's because we've somehow turned inwards to ourselves. Somehow we've become myopic and stopped looking at what God sees and look at what we can see. And so what I'm worried about is that by being strategic and by being, you know, I get how that would work and I get how I could be close to those people and I get how I could blah, 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 be the, uh, you know, instrument, I systematically am removing the need for God's power to be present in my relationships at the level they were designed to be. I'm systematically cutting out all of the decisions and gaps that require God's power to bust open and smash those barriers that are mostly my sin and my inward turnedness. And so I get worried when we build things around sameness or around things that make sense to us, because I would worry that we could start to think that we could make disciples and we could see people come to know Jesus by our own power and by our own ability to build things that make sense to others and by our own ability to build things that are just perfect and make total sense. We can't do that. (laughs) You can't do that, I can't do that. Every time there's a jump, every time there's, there's a wall that's torn down between you and your friend, you and your family member or you and someone that doesn't know Jesus, that is a miracle that requires the power of god and the holy spirit to intervene and it's a faith moment now do is the only way to have this happen to have i don't know multiculturalism or multi-generationalism or multi-multi-multi no it's not the only way to do it but i think it's something that we're called to as a church i think it's one of the things that god's given us to fight for and long for is going okay, God. We want disciples to be made in our church. We want it to be multiplied. We want people to come to know you. We wanna be spiritual family. And then he smashes all of us together that often don't have a lot in common. And that just happens. And I'm so glad because what it it does in my heart is it goes, okay, you wanna build this thing from the very beginning on people crossing boundaries, just like the Antioch church. You wanna build the DNA of this church from the very very core of what it is, is is a jump. It's a jump that cost us. It's a jump that cost comfortability. It's a jump that took faith. And it just is. And what I think happens is that when we choose that level of surrender and we choose to go, okay, God, are you trying to disciple me right now? Are you trying to save me from myself right now? Are you dropping me in the middle of a bunch of people that I don't have a lot in common with? And maybe you do, that's fine. I'm not saying that everybody, you can have things in common with people. That's not the end of the world. But at the end of the day, do we belong to a place because everybody's the same? Or do we belong to a place because God's called us to uh, have our DNA be a faith that the gospel trend can make jumps between cultures. Because then when we see that, and our faith gets built for that, we go, maybe the gospel could jump over here. And maybe it could jump over here. And okay, this is just an observation, just an observation. The most fruitful people that I know, the most fruitful people that I know in my life are people that have moved somewhere and have been made uncomfortable and live a surrendered life and aren't fighting for comfortability, they're fighting for something else. It's what I've seen, it's just my own perspective. You can, you can, we can have a conversation about this later if you have a different opinion and I'm really glad if you do, it's fine. But my opinion, okay, full on asterisk, opinion, is that when I look around and I see people being fruitful and being glue and sticky people together and doing the costly work of stitching one another together and it didn't make sense at the very beginning, but ah, here we go, family, community. And then they wind up with spiritual family who knows how long later. They're leading people to Christ from people from other cultures and they're making disciples with people that don't have seemingly anything in common. They're fruitful. And I think it's because something in them has died. Something, something about their sin nature has died going, I'm gonna stop fighting for that utopian dream that's always elusive. And I wish I could go through, I could just list name after name after name in our church that has done this. Name after name. And it's glued it together. There was a, there was a season in our church where if it wasn't for the Filipino community, we wouldn't be here today. <laughs> if it wasn't for the Filipinos, there, I don't think there'd be a church. And we could tell that story. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's a big deal. And I, could, I don't know, we could, talk about, we could talk about individual names all night. And there's, there's just beauty in it. And I think God really honors when that happens. And I don't think it's above or beyond any of us to do. So my question to us is, do we have a habit of building relationships with people that don't know Jesus, with pe- the people sitting next to us? Do we have a habit of relying on God's power for that to be the reason it happened? do we walk, are we like the men of Cyprus and Cyrene going, Jesus is Lord. So I guess we're just gonna rely on that then. <laughs> I guess that's just what's going on. And I think he's gonna be enough to keep us together with the Greeks that don't know the Old Testament. And, and then you find yourself going down the oh and no, that's not gonna work. But no, no, Jesus is Lord of all and he's enough. And you, and you have this faith talk of going like, yes, we could be family. And tons of people, did you see in the scripture? Tons of people came to know the Lord in that church immediately through Jews reaching out to Greeks who then reached out to who knows who. So I think it's really amazing when a church operates on Christ's Lordship and the Spirit's power. And we have this call in our little neck of the woods has a lot to do with being multicultural. And I'm so glad. That's why this verse speaks to me so much. Okay, two more observations that are much shorter than the first one. The second thing that happens is they're sustained by a faithfulness to the Lord. So it starts with, it starts with, you know, jumping over this gap. It starts with people crossing borders, but it's sustained, it's sustained by a faithfulness to the Lord. So in verse 22, they send, you know, they're like, hey, Barnabas, go check that out. Make sure that's all good. And then when Barnabas gets there in verse 23, it says he sees the grace of God at work. That's what he sees when he gets to the church in Antioch. He looks at this unlikely scenario that he was sent to to probably mostly check on (laughs) because it's probably his catch. And he gets there and he goes, whoa, the grace of God is here. For those that the word grace is sometimes confusing for me, a good definition, it's a bit wordy, but it's God's empowering presence. That's what grace is. His grace is on you. It's his presence that empowers you to be like him. And it's really deep, I know, but... It's, so, so, so Barnabas gets there and he sees the empowering presence of God at work among these people. And he goes, oh my goodness, this is a church. So there's only one explanation It's Barnabas in this story for the existence of this community. It's God's empowering presence. And he dwells among these community of, communities of faith that place him as their identity. That's why I think God's so faithful to meet us and he blesses us so much in our church. It's because I think he's faithful to people going, we're relying on your empowering presence for us to be at church. We're relying on your presence to empower us, to love each other, even when it has to cross boundaries. And even when it doesn't make sense, I think he's faithful to meet us. And then Barnabas gives them this encouragement, okay? He gives them, he's like, wow, God's at work. I got one thing to remind you of. It's a very short, (laughs) he doesn't, I mean he spent a year there, which is pretty great. But he's, it became the missionary sending place. And I'm sure they talked about all wonderful, wonderful things. That's probably where Paul got his heart for the nations, was in, was in the Antioch church, which was spending the year with Barnabas in this church is probably where God's, I don't know, maybe, where he spoke to him going, You're yeah, gonna send you to the nations. And uh, Barnabas just has one thing to say, and he says, This just be true to the Lord with all your hearts. Okay, this is amazing got one thing to tell you for this to keep going. Be true to the Lord with all your hearts. It's translated in a bunch of different ways. I'm going to read four of them, four of them, because that's, so the NIV says, true to the Lord with all your hearts. The ESV says, faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. The NASB says, true to the Lord with a resolute heart. The Berean Study Bible says, abide in the Lord with all their hearts. And the new King James says, with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. Thank you, King James, for the longer version. To, with, with, with a fullness of heart to abide, like, I mean, English just falls so short sometimes. Look how many different words were used in all five of those. But at the end of the day, Barnabas is going, just keep Jesus as the center of the middle of your heart and it's gonna be fine. Faithful, steadfast, true Him. He doesn't say, "Oh, those best practices you learned, keep jumping cultures, keep doing that. That seemed to work well for you." Hey, keep uh, keep doing the brave things that seemed to go well. He doesn't systematize it. He doesn't go, "Wow, it turns out healthy churches are built by multiculturalism miraculously." It's like, no, that's not that's not really what's going on. What's really going on is he says, "Continue." Keeping Christ as Lord because it's the only explanation for why this is happening. So just keep doing that. Keep Him at the center. So, Christ, not the fruit of what happens here, was designed to be the source of love and power for the sustenance of the church. He was. He's designed to be the sustenance and the power. And I pray and hope that this church is designed to require faithfulness to Christ to be why it exists. Because it's an amazing testimony of the world. It's an amazing testimony. So uh, I was at uh, a wedding yesterday for the Rovas. Beautiful wedding. And it was so cool to see really godly people. If you haven't met them yet, they're not here. They're on the honeymoon. But uh, if uh, you ever get a chance to meet the Rovas, he plays bass, she plays keys sometimes. You've probably seen them around. Uh, If you get a chance to meet them, really godly people and they so desperately wanted Christ to be the hero of their marriage ceremony. And it was amazing. The the pastor basically gave a evangelistic message being like, here's what's going on right now between the two of them. And it wasn't about them at all. It was, I mean, it was, it was in its own way, even more beautiful and about them, but they just wanted to give Christ all the glory of this moment. I was so moved by it. And I think this is really, The marriage analogy is really pertinent and it always works well when you're trying to describe the church. Using marriage always really helps because that's Christ's relationship to us as a, as a body. And so what I think happens sometimes is in the same way that your spouse isn't designed to be your sustenance, in the same way that your significant other is not designed to be like their amazingness isn't the thing that makes it work. And even your successful relationship and the fruit of working it out and doing good, like the fruit of it, isn't designed to be the sustenance. Like even the good things that happen when you do all the right things and you followed your counselor's advice perfectly and it all worked and it's like, hey, that that even that is not the sustenance of covenant. Even that is not the sustenance of relationship. Uh, and it was evident yesterday at this wedding to go, hey, you guys are fully aware that Christ is gonna be the sustenance of this, not even your own awesomeness. And so in the same way as a church, we can so often fall into this idea of going like, man, if only this was better, if only you were better, if only that was better. (laughs) And I have those thoughts all the time. And instead, uh, Christ would invite us to go, just be faithful to me, honor me, Keep me as your first and foremost love. Let me sustain you and make you whole. And then as a result, I'm gonna knit you into the kind of family that I've designed for you that will not only not only complete you, but continue to refine you towards needing me. And it's always both. I love that it's always both. It's always, wow, this, I think I belong here. And at the same time, wow, this is hard. And I'm gonna keep needing you. <laughs> That's just... That's what good relationships are like. That's what the most intimate fruit for relationships are like, As they're the hardest thing and the best thing. And the church was supposed to be, a marriage was like a metaphor, like a, oh yeah, marriage, but the church, like the church is supposed to be the penultimate of these mechanics. And anyways, I'm passionate about that, so you can tell. So I think we're all unified by a common sustenance and a common sustainer. And that's what's gonna keep us together. Last one, they send their best. They start by bridging gaps. They're sustained by having the same Lord and Savior, and then they send their best. So I think we wanna send our best with the best provisions. You notice they have a famine. There's, at the end of the story, there's a famine. And then this church in Antioch and the Greeks end up sending aid through their leaders, Barnabas and Paul, back to the church in Jerusalem. It's amazing. And so I think about our, you know, a little Surrey site coming up that we're going to plant a site for our church in Surrey, which I'm really excited about. I think we're sending our best. I think Matt's, uh, we're going to feel Matt's, not having Matt here and up here. And we're going to feel so many of you that are going to be planting something and having fresh vision. And we're going to be having to raise funds to make sure that that's possible. But as a church, what keeps us healthy as we go, our hands aren't clenched around the fruits of the kingdom. Our hands aren't clenched around all the people that we know and love and are so glad that are here. Is it this church, this Antioch church has this disposition of going, we're not gonna idolize anything. We're just gonna keep you as the forefront. And even when things work, we're gonna send what you've given us. I think that's so beautiful and so healthy. So wrapping up. Uh, if this has been a lot of advice and a lot of like, wow, that's a lot of new things to do, Uh, what I was struck by um, in the observations from this is that in Christ's life, he exemplified each one of these things super well, as tends to be the result of every sermon. Uh, Crossing boundaries. I think Jesus might've crossed a boundary when he came to earth and humbled himself by becoming a man, God become man. You talk about humility. You talk about bridging a gap. You're talking about going to lengths to be close to the people that have hurt you, but you still love. Christ is an amazing example of someone that crossed boundaries and he inaugurated the church. Christ was sustained by faithfulness to his father all he said ever said he was doing. He was just being faithful to him. And when things got tough, when people left him and when it was a little bit too much and when he was being just crushed by the weight of your sin and my sin in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And he was faithful to the mission that God sent him on. And I think God sent his best and he sent his one and only son that he loved to show us how not even he is closed fisted in this area of love and relationship. That he's willing to just give it all, to give his best for the sake of community and what we were all designed for, to be this royal priesthood uh, in in this world, displaying God to creation and uh, helping creation be reconciled to him. It's an unbelievable purpose. And he sent his best for that. I think we should send our best as a church too, so that we don't get lost in thinking that we're the answer. So uh, we're gonna be able to take communion today. For those that are preparing it, I think what would be good is maybe we could hand it out now. Paul, if you don't mind. Uh, we'll hand it out during this next song and then we'll take it together between songs one and two here. But uh, we have a chance just to respond and worship for a minute. And uh, just a couple questions that I would wanna ask you as you're, as you're worshiping and as you're thinking and as you're reflecting on all this, in, in what ways are you actively requiring God's power to remove barriers between you and other people, be that the people that don't know God, your friends, your family, even people here in this church? In what ways are you requiring God's power to do that? Another question is, is Christ your ultimate sustenance? Is he, is he the source of your strength and power and wholeness? And if he isn't, it's gonna to be tough here. It's a kind of, the church is designed to be a tough place for people who aren't elevating Christ as Lord. It's, it's very helpful, it's very refining. Uh, if that's you, if Christ isn't your sustenance, uh, there's, I mean, you can go away into a closet and squint and, and, and try to get that done. That's a good thing, you know, prayer closets are great. I have some maybe different advice for you today. What about like going on an adventure with him relationally? What about like going on an adventure? Like, hey God, where would you wanna take me? What boundary would you want me to cross? How would I, something something I'm going to need you for. Are your fists clenched? Oops. Are your fists clenched? Are you giving your best? Maybe there's something you need to give. I don't know, just these open-handed things. These are questions you can think about. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And I'm going to pray for us. Father, I ask that you would continue to teach us about what the church is and what it's built on and what it's built for and how it's built. Lord, we wanna see your kingdom come and you called your church to be the propagators of that kingdom. And so Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our community by giving the world a glimpse of what heaven is supposed to be like, by giving a glimpse of what your supremacy and lordship can do in a people how powerful it is and how miraculous it is to save us from ourselves and to save us from the things that alienated us from one another. And God, I pray that you would build a fruitful and diverse community here that places you at the center of it, that relies on your power to see it all become possible. And Lord, I pray if there's places where we've been trying to create our own little pieces of heaven and our own little Edens by our own power, even our own outreach that makes sense to us, even our own efforts, our religious efforts that, are, that we're doing because they make sense to us. God, we repent of those and we ask to be led by your spirit again. We ask you to send us into places that require your spirit again because you build, if there's one thing that's been evident from this, from this book of Acts is that your spirit is the main character doing so many things. And so we rely on you yet again, Lord. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, Amen.